We're continuing in our series in Proverbs, and so we're turning to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And this is perhaps the shortest scripture reading I have ever done. Listen then for the voice of God. That sentence is already longer than our scripture reading. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's so short, let's read it again, shall we? The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Words are tricky things. And, and, and what we mean by the words we say can sometimes be even trickier still. Kind of like when you run into someone. It can be an acquaintance, it can be a friend, it can be a stranger that you meet. And what's our word of greeting? How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Even though you're not good. You could be having a horrible day. What's going to be your answer? I'm good. Because we don't actually mean what we're saying. We're not actually looking for how someone's doing. It's a pleasantry. It's a polite way of saying hello. It's, a, it's just a quick way of getting that out of there and continuing on either on our walk, passing the stranger, or going into deeper conversation. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. If you're in the checkout line at the grocery store, and you've just had this exchange with the Sobeys employee who's beep beeping your discount ground beef and your Honey Nut Cheerios, and you were to say, they said, how are you? And you said, good. And you said, how are you? And that person stopped beep beeping your discount ground beef and your Honey Nut Cheerios and said, well, not great. Actually, my dad's ill, I'm his primary caretaker, and I'm still trying to make this job work, and I am exhausted, and I just can't even today. Would that be awkward? The lineup continues to kind of grow behind you. You didn't actually mean to ask how they were doing. You weren't actually expecting a real answer. It was supposed to be good, move on, and the next question was, do you need bags? Do you have air miles? And your groceries would continue to be scanned. You may have asked the question, but you aren't really interested in how that person's actually doing. It's a form of politeness, kind of like a tip of the hat from a time when people still wore hats. Words are tricky things. And what we mean or don't mean by them can be even trickier still. We've been tracking with Proverbs for a few weeks. And we haven't actually, until today, dived into what the book of Proverbs is known for. A proverb. That little two-line witty saying that comes to mind when we hear the book of Proverbs mentioned. 
we've gone through the previous nine chapters. We've looked at what Proverbs was intended to be, the theme and purpose from chapter one. Pastor Tom took us through one of the father-son speeches that make up the next chunk. And then last week, Pastor Tom unpacked the way that the book of Proverbs uses lady wisdom and lady folly to personify kind of two ways of living life. And here, in 18, we are neck deep in a giant section that is mostly all two-line Proverbs, most of them attributed to Solomon. And there's some reoccurring themes in this large central chunk of the book of Proverbs. There's a theme of discipline versus laziness, or being a sluggard in the terminology of Proverbs. There's a lot of Proverbs on wealth and poverty. There's a lot of Proverbs on faithfulness versus recklessness. There's a few Proverbs on the ills of drinking too much. And there's a whole sub-theme about quarrelsome wives and disappointing children. We will leave that one be, that's for a whole nother sermon. But there is no theme more pronounced than how we speak and how we don't speak. How we use our words and to what end we use them. Over and over again, Proverbs acknowledges that words are tricky things. And what we mean by the words we say can be trickier still. A lot of the proverbial sayings, if you were to start in chapter 10 and read through Proverbs, through this chunk that are kind of mostly two-line sayings, most of them are going to be some equivalent of our kind of modern proverb, which is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And if you were to live that kind of line, you're, you're going to hit a lot of what Proverbs is saying. If you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. Proverbs says that those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Or in a similar vein, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The unspoken thing is that if you don't guard your mouth or tongue, calamity is going to come on you. All of which can also kind of be boiled down to how one humorist succinctly summarized this by saying, it is so simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and don't say it. Amazingly, that ain't so simple. We have a hard time thinking of something stupid and not saying it. Proverbs is not original in this line of teaching, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you think of something stupid, please just don't say it. That's kind of what most wise sages from ancient cultures have said. 
The general consensus from the Egyptians to the Greeks and Romans to our very own Hebrew literature is that silence is often better than speech. Not speaking is usually the course to go. The wise hold their tongue. Bottom line, that's a pretty good line to go with. Because as Proverbs says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So even if you're not wise, you can at least look like you're wise if you just bite your tongue. But our proverb for this morning, this single two-line little bit buried in the heart of Proverbs, it, it reflects a bigger biblical picture of what it means to be a wise person who knows when to speak and when not to speak. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. It turns out that our words aren't just tricky things. They are also deeply powerful things. And so what we say matters, and how we say it matters. When it comes to the power of life and death, in our words, in our speech, in our discourse, we are perhaps a little overly familiar with the power of death. <laughs> Whether it's news headlines or articles, whether it's online discourse, ugh, or political speeches, we are exposed to a dizzying array of the way words can be used for death. There's fake news and disinformation. There's denials and misdirection. Hyperbole and exaggeration personal attacks and bullying, gossip and manipulation, and just flat-out brazen lies. There's growing alarm that we are in a crisis moment in our culture, that we have not only lost the ability to talk together in meaningful ways across differences, particularly, but that we've also lost a general consensus of what truth is. That we retreat into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller echo chambers of those we agree with. And that retreat has made us unable to see those we disagree with as anything other than enemy. And this doesn't just play out in news and politics. 
It's found among families and friends and churches who no longer talk to each other because of who they voted for or views on vaccinations or choices made in response to the pandemic. We are very familiar with the power of death in our words. Their ability to distance and to harm and to cut and to diminish and to deface and to abuse and to kill. And we retreat more and more into these echo chambers until our language that hurts and harms and doesn't reach out and doesn't connect start to sound like words of life because we're only with people we agree with. When in fact they are words of death. We are familiar with the power of death in our words. It's a, it's a language we speak quite easily. But what does it look like to speak with the power of life? Our tongues have the power of life and of death. What does it look like to have words that have the power of life? To have our speech have the power of life, our conversations to have the power of life. Proverbs is full of imagery for this, of, of metaphors, of ways of describing what this looks like. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The lips of the righteous nourish many. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. A gentle answer turns away wrath. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And one of my favorites, gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And because Proverbs always works in contrast, the words of the wicked lie in want of blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. Does our speech rescue? This week, as I sat with this tiny proverb and studied how Proverbs portrays the way that we use words for life and for death, I kept coming back to my friend, Paul. And then I figured that's probably the spirit telling me that you need to hear about Paul, too. Paul is a Christian Reformed campus minister in Calgary. He is a super tall guy, unsurprising. He's got a giant grin and a knack for making people feel at ease in his presence. 
I first met Paul on the floor of Synod. We were both there a few years ago. And Paul is a colleague of my husband, Brian, both campus ministers. And so Paul came over when he found out that I was married to Brian just to tell me how great Brian is. So I was obviously endeared to Paul right off the bat. Paul is someone who is kind and gracious. You get that just from the moment you meet him. And when he's in conversation with you, even in passing, he's present with you. He listens so well and asks such good questions that even a brief encounter with Paul kind of leaves you feeling heard, and and you walk away with a giant grin kind of like his. He just has that way about him. It's also why he makes a pretty great campus minister. But my appreciation for Paul has deepened in the last year as I have witnessed his online engagement on issues connected to the Human Sexuality Report. We all know how online discourse brings out the best in us, right? It does not. (laughs) Online discourse reverts us to like the worst versions of ourself, more or less. Our words quickly become incendiary, reductionistic. We tend to provoke and post controversial stuff with the tagline, found this interesting. It's a very non-committal way to launch a grenade into a conversation. And then we use the power of our words just to toss gasoline on the giant dumpster fire that is the comment thread that follows as is almost all comment threads. And then we delete people that we disagree with. And again, we fall back into those echo chambers, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Until we're only with people we agree with, and then we complain about the people we don't, and everyone tells us how right we are. But Paul, bless that man, resists this temptation. I have witnessed him engage in deeply conservative circles on the human sexuality report and deeply progressive ones. With those who are advocating for the human sexuality report, that that is confessional status, it is wonderful, let's get this done. And those who are voicing caution and saying, I cannot advocate for that. I cannot say yes to that. I have seen him engage with Christians who are in same-sex marriages, and I've seen him engage just as respectfully with those who oppose those same marriages. Paul does not fight or brawl. He has a particular perspective. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't diminish it. He's not wishy-washy. But he comes with good questions. With that same kindness and graciousness that he has in real life, in person. And he comes with curiosity, and he comes with humility. And he does still get to be a kind and gracious person online. And I find that to be a miracle these days. He seeks out those he disagrees with 
not to pick a fight, not to win, not to combat, not looking for blood, but to understand the perspective of those he disagrees with, to understand the motives, the desires, the fears, the loves, what's going on. And I've witnessed him call out those in his echo chamber when they start to mischaracterize and name call and poke at the other side as the enemy. And he gets in there and he protects those he disagrees with. He stands up for them. Paul's words, both online and in person, have the power of life. Whether you agree with him or not. (laughs) Because he uses conversation, he uses his words to build up and not tear down. To strengthen and not destroy. He remains curious and wondering. Honest and gracious with a courage and a humility that he might be wrong. That he might have something to learn in this encounter with other people. And he's honest about that. The tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And I gotta say in... A few months when we head to Synod 2020, 2022, too many 20s. It's the words of people like Paul that will find us a way through. Words of life and not of death. Words that build and don't destroy. Words that reach out rather than cut off. Words that bring life. Cal Seerveld is a reformed philosopher and sometimes preacher. And he writes that to speak a word is like dropping a stone into a pond. Its vibrant sound keeps on working good or ill, like concentric ripples reaching the farthest shore. Because words are deeds. Words are things that do something. Speech can visibly strengthen a human like vitamins to the body or even kill somebody like poison. The tongue has the power of life and of death. And those who love it eat its fruit. Where does that power come from? The power of our words comes from being made in the image of God. In the beginning, God created with words. Let there be and there was. God spoke our world into existence. And we are in the image of God 
who gifted us with language, with words, with communication, who gave us the power of life and death in the words we speak. The ability to create and the ability to destroy. And then, thankfully, knowing how easily we learn the language of death and destruction, God sent the word made flesh to dwell among us, to teach us again the language of grace and of life. Wisdom comes not just from holding our tongue, knowing when not to speak, that is a start. <laughs> but wisdom comes from learning to speak like Jesus. Words that bring life rather than death. Words that build up rather than destroy. Words that mend rather than tear apart. And words that are wise rather than foolish. Words are tricky things. And what we mean with those words can be trickier still. And the wise know how powerful and how dangerous they can be. The tongue has the power of life and of death. And those who love it eat its fruit. May we grow in wisdom as God's people, learning from previous generations, learning from each other, learning from people like Paul, knowing when to speak and when to hold our tongue. And whether we are in the grocery store line, posting a comment online, or discerning the truth of God's word with our brothers and sisters, may we understand the power of our words for good and for ill, for building up and for tearing down. And may we, with the Spirit's help and guidance and absolute constant correction, may we become fluent in the language of life, a language that speaks of grace, a language that points us to God and returns us to each other a word that brings life rather than death. In the name of the word made flesh. Let's pray. What words are enough? What words are right? What words are true? We come before you as your people, as every generation of your people have done before, wondering how to speak grace and truth. How to speak words of life and not of death. 
So we ask for your spirit to speak to us first, to speak into our silence, into our listening hearts and lives and minds as we seek you, as we seek to speak like Jesus, our word made flesh. Grant us wisdom and help us bite our tongue. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.